Welcome everyone to the Behavioral Leadership Podcast presented by SCCI. I'm Dr. Nick Weatherly and today we're joined by Steve Quinnell, Managing Director of SCCI. Hi Steve, I appreciate your taking the time. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into applying behavior science to business and leadership. Well, hello, Nick, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. This is uh, very exciting, the launch of this series. A little bit about me. Well, I have a background in technology and engineering, and those things are largely about problem solving. So I've always had an interest in problem solving. In the 1990s, I was working at Canada's largest telecom company when the Canadian government deregulated the telecom industry in Canada, and we had to figure out how to compete in this new world. Very fortunately, I was selected for a small team, a team of seven, to help re-engineer this corporation of 50,000 people. And along the way, they gave us lots of training in organizational change and leadership. And I was having all these aha moments because at that point, I was a young leader, been put into a leadership position with no training and started to figure out, okay, I was doing a whole bunch of things wrong. So I was getting a lot out of this just beyond my task of helping to re-engineer the corporation. And my engineer brain started to think, you know, machines are pretty easy. You build a machine, they're predictable, they're reliable, but people are far more challenging. And that just piqued my curiosity. So when the, the change project was done at Bell, I went back to university to study business, organizational development, and leadership. And that's where I first started to get exposure to applied behavioral science, or ABS. When I graduated, I went to a company called Mitel to work for the vice president of R&D, Jeff Smith. And Jeff was tasked with helping to turn the company around. They were in, in kind of bad shape at that point. So he and I had a live lab for two years to practice effective behavior shaping. And along the way, we came upon this metaphor of using the sacred cows, the things that people could see, but nobody wanted to go near, nobody wanted to tackle, nobody wanted to touch. So we used this, this metaphor of sacred cows as part of our organizational change program. We were very successful in those two years. We took the company from $2 million, $2 million in profitability on the bottom line to $80 million in two years. So it's quite a ride, an exciting ride. We wound up writing a book about it in the company of Sacred Cows and uh, starting a company together, Sacred Cow Company. So that's where the, the name came from. Over the years, I have focused on positive and effective behavior change that produces good business results. So that's a little bit about me and my background. As someone who found the science of behavior through professors in my undergraduate program at Western Michigan University, I found that over the years, my favorite type of person is the person who found the science out of necessity. When somebody like yourself, a practitioner, an engineer, change manager, who has extensive training in areas outside of behavior analysis becomes an expert in the science because it works. Because they had a need and the most effective, efficient, and sustainable option was the one based on science. So what is applied behavioral science? To me, applied behavioral science, or ABS, is about, you can call it human engineering, you can call it the levers of human behavior. It really focuses on, we start with what is behavior? That's a term that gets bandied about, and it has a pretty close definition. I mean, behavior is a physical action, what people say and do. And then you look at, okay, how are behaviors started? So what are the, what are the dimensions around how behaviors get started? And most importantly, then how are behaviors sustained in a positive, self-sustaining manner? To me, that's what ABS is, identifying behaviors, looking at the conditions that start behaviors, the things we call antecedents, and what sustains behaviors, consequences, positive consequences, sustained behaviors. And in our work over the years, we found, even though that's, it's that simple, you know, we call it the ABC, the antecedent behavior consequence model, even though it's that simple, when you go into an organization and see what's going on, you see people pulling on the wrong lever. 
you'll see all kinds of antecedents everywhere. We call antecedent overload. We see missing antecedents, not setting people up for success. We see people focusing on antecedents when that's not the issue. It's a consequence issue. We see people using inappropriate consequences, using negative consequences in the hope of creating some self-sustaining habits, people being given unclear expectation, the use of labels versus behaviors. So we see, even though the model is that simple, it's a great guiding model to help really do good diagnostics on a situation and see how to move an organization forward in a positive and sustainable way. I refer to it as, as the, of the bicycle. And if you recall the first time you saw somebody riding a bicycle, you know, there, there goes a kid down the street and they're, they're sitting on the seat of this little machine and their feet are going around, their hands are on the handlebar and zoom, they're gone. They go, oh, okay, I want one of those. But I think of the first time I tried to ride a bicycle, first several times, I fell off. Now, I've been riding a bicycle for many decades and I can go and pick up a bicycle right now and I can ride it. What's, what's the story there? Well, the analogy here is like a bicycle, applied behavioral science is a set of tools that have some nuances to it. Like I say, you need to be pulling on the right lever. And once you learn this and look at the world through this lens, you never work, look at the world the same way again because so many things become clear to you. It's, and it's a lot like riding a bicycle. Once you learn it, you'll never, ever forget it. I appreciate that breakdown. You hit on the broad applicability of the science of behavior, and I appreciate your walking through the components and application of those components because they're important and they're integral in any change effort. How has your experience as an engineer helped you in your work in ABS? Well, I would say I've been in business my whole life. I was born into a family of entrepreneurs, and even as a child, you help out in the family business. And over my career, I've worked from small business to big corporations. It's interesting to understand business strategy and communication in organizations. Now, they say, you know, execution eats strategy all day long. doesn't matter how brilliant your strategy is. If it doesn't get executed well, you're not going to survive. Organizations are complex. A lot of communication along the way gets convoluted, and that's the great contrast between small businesses and big businesses. In a small business, communication flows a lot easier. In large organizations with multiple layers, that's when messages can really get convoluted, and that's where the execution element breaks down. Because again, you're trying to execute a strategy, but how do you get everybody in the organization aligned to what they have to do to support that strategy? And that's what applied behavioral science does. It gets actions at the front line to link business strategy with day-to-day execution for organizational success. The other area of my experience that has helped in my work with ABS is just my engineering background. And one of the key things I took away from engineering school was the professors would tell us over and over again, don't rely on a formula. You have to know where the formula comes from. You have to know the basics of physics and engineering so that you can recreate that because sometimes a formula doesn't always apply or there's not always a formula for something. And when I look at literature and there's articles out there and there's books out there about, you know, the five key things that you need to do to be successful in business or the 12 things you need to do during organizational change. And those might be right, but that's a little like a formula and it doesn't apply in every case. So how do you go back to first principles when you look at organizational change or organizational effectiveness? And that's applied behavioral science. That model, that toolkit can help both do diagnostics and can help set people up for success. Hey, here's the chain of behaviors that we need to all execute so we can be successful in our organizational goals. I like this notion of not simply relying on the formula, but understanding how you're coming to your answer. From a behavioral perspective, the link is clear to the criticality to understanding why people do what they do when leading others. So I, I thought that was, uh, that was really important. 
So how does company culture play into this? Well, that's a great question because we get asked that a lot. Executives will want to know how to shift their organizational culture. Look, culture is an outcome and culture is the subset of the most commonly practiced behaviors in an organization. Change behavior, change culture. And I just realized so far I've been talking about using ABS as an organizational diagnostic framework for change. But remember in ABS, Applied Behavior Science, the A stands for applied. So ABS comes to life when leaders use it to positively align individual behaviors with organizational goals. So that is how you create or shift culture, one behavior at a time. Tell me a part of your culture you want to change, and let's work backwards to define the behavior or behaviors that feed that part of the culture. Then let's shape new or better replacement behaviors for those, and that will move the culture forward. Again, change behavior, change culture. The word culture can so often be thrown around as sort of a vague catch-all when describing an organization or components of the organization, so it's helpful hearing how to make culture change actionable. Tell me about some of the work you've done in ABS. Well, we have certainly worked in a lot of different industries, everything from insurance to training companies to cookie manufacturing, transportation, railways, oil and gas, anywhere that there's more than three people, there will be issues of some type. Let me share one particular success story with you. I was working with an oil and gas company down in the Gulf of Mexico, and the company had decided to have a close look at one of their key processes around logistics. And you got to remember, this is an old world industry, and they've been, they've been at this for 100 years. So they brought in a black belt team and did a Kaizen and looked at a way they could improve the efficiency of logistics and came up with a new plan. And they had the whole behavior map up on the wall at the end of uh, the couple of days. And they brought me in and said, what do you think? And I said, well, can you go up to the wall, I'll give you all some stickies and point to the behaviors on here that are not going to happen naturally and are going to get in the way of the success of this project. So the whole team went up and interestingly enough, they, they all put their individual stickies on only two boxes. There was two key behaviors that they said, if we don't get these, the project won't be successful. And we think we're going to have a whole lot of resistance around these two. So they launched the new process and there was a large amount of backlash. People who've been doing it a particular way for a long, long time did not like it. And I checked in with the transportation manager about six weeks in and said, how's it going? He said, well, for the first few weeks, we got a bit of traction. They were using a new process and then it kind of leveled off. And I said, okay, what is happening? He said, well, they're very creative people and they've found a workaround that they can still use the old process without us really knowing. And he has a spreadsheet that shows, just showed me how people were cross-charging stuff to one another. I said, well, that's interesting. Who has this data that you have in this spreadsheet? He said, well, nobody. He said, I'm, I keep this data. So we had a discussion about well, what would it do if you were to share this information openly with all of all the leaders in these different areas? And he said, well, it'll probably cause a bit of backlash and a bit of stir. And as we talked about it, I said, well, what's, what's the consequence? Well, the consequence is it would show that they're not using the, the new process. And the more we talked it through, he said, I, I get it. I, I, need to, I need to share this data with them. So he did, and there was a backlash. And then over the weeks ahead, the new process was adopted more and more and more. So the next discussion we had is, okay, for those who are doing it, those who are adopting the new process, what are you doing? And we, we converged on a plan of, you know, you need to talk to them every week and acknowledge them for doing the new process and thanking them for doing it and asking them, you know, how is it is, what can we do to even make it better? And for those who weren't following the new process, you need to get out to them and say, what's getting in the way? We notice you're not using the new process. What's getting in the way? And he even involved the, the vice president in having those exact same conversations once a month. 
vice president would call up somebody who was following the process and say, hey, you're following our new process. Thank you very much. How's it going? Or he'd call up people that weren't doing it saying, look, I'm the vice president. I've got all the power here. You know, what's getting in the way? How can I support you to get on board with this new process? Because it's really important to our company. So long story short, by the 12-week mark, they had the new behaviors in place. People were following the new process. And the company wound up saving $100 million in efficiency that year by getting that one key behavior in place. They'd initially identified two, and as a bit of a domino, once they got the one behavior in place on an ongoing basis, the other one fell in line anyway. So just a great example of how you can align individual behaviors with organizational goals and have a huge impact. Thanks for sharing. You really captured both a replicable path to shifting behavior and shifting culture, and it showed the powerful impact that you can have on positive culture change by following that that path. What are some reasons someone might choose a behavioral approach to leadership? You know, it's a common thing in organizations that leaders are just kind of given the keys to the new job. Look, you're you know you're really good at doing X. We're going to promote you to now be the leader of X. And we call that, you know, promoting people without skills is unfair. We call that management by hope. Look, Nick, you and I are both musicians, and we know that there are brilliant musicians out there that can't read a note of music. They've never taken a music lesson in their life. It was just born in. And there are some leaders like that, but the majority are not, and the majority need skills at what does a good leader do. So ABS is a simple, structured way to lead in a positive and productive manner. And there's 80 years of research on this, setting people up for success, reinforcing the good behaviors, pulling them forward in a positive way, figuring out what's getting in the way of them being successful, and as the leader, getting rid of those roadblocks for them. So that's why a behavioral approach to leadership is so powerful. If organizations spent one-tenth of the time and effort on developing leaders as they do fixing messes caused by ineffective leadership, they would be a hundred times better off. You can't put out a fire with gasoline. So much time is wasted on trial and error and searching for the new latest management fad. You know, informed, efficient, and effective decision-making is critical in any industry and anywhere. Uh, You know, the the role of a leader is often oversimplified to that of a problem solver, putting out fires, which overlooks what you're doing to find and support what's working so that people keep doing it. You know, you can't get business results just by getting, quote, bad behaviors to stop. You need the ideal desired behaviors to take their place, and those behaviors need support. Are there any final things you'd like us to know about ABS? Well, let me say something that might be a little bit controversial, but most training, and especially leadership training, is ineffective and a waste of time and money. Why? Because it's not paired with intentional practice and feedback. Training by itself only creates awareness. Training plus practice equals fluency. Reinforced fluency becomes habit. The tools of applied behavioral science paired with some good coaching and intentional practice and feedback is a game changer. For me, there's a comfort I feel as a leader, as a parent, just as a person, a member of my community, knowing that there's a replicable, tested, applied science that can guide any change initiative and result in sustainable culture change. As long as you're seeking to understand the environment, what's working and what's not, and supporting the most valuable part to any organization, the people. So I appreciate that. Lastly, if you could tell us a little bit about SCCI, who sponsors this podcast. So we we do coaching and consulting for culture change and behavior change. And one of the first things we tell people is when we come in, 
we don't, in, we're not going to be a burden on your organization and we're not going to be working with your leaders to do a whole bunch more. And that's often one of the downsides of, of having a consulting organization in to help you is, oh, you need, you know, here's more stuff you need to do. We help people do different and behavior change and behavior shift is about doing different, not doing more. And we work in the field directly with leaders. So we're doing observational coaching. So we get to see them in the moment doing what they're doing and then have those quick coaching conversations. So we're not a heavy intensive uh, drain on, on leaders in a day-to-day -day basis. And as we coach them and they become more effective, uh, their, their productivity actually increases. So it's really key that people understand it's about doing different, not doing more. And that's, that's the essence of behavior change. Uh, I know you'd, you'd uh, asked about, you know, some of the essence of behavioral science. And one of the other things about, you know, ABS of behavioral science that really appeals to me is it just gives us a way to sit back and understand why we're getting the behavior that we're getting. And I talked about those things, setting people, understanding what behavior is, setting people up for success and reinforcing it. And if I'm not getting the desired behavior, whether it's a safe behavior, a productivity behavior, an effectiveness behavior, whatever it might be, we can use these tools and sit back and say, okay, what's missing? Um, you know, if I'm not getting the behavior I want, what's missing? Uh, quick anecdote is working with an organization and they're trying to get one, one key metric up. <clears throat> and there's one guy who just couldn't do it. And we went out and said, okay, what's, you know, we really need to understand what's going on here. We need to go talk to this individual and said, you know, buddy, your, 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 your scores are way down on getting your work done. He said, yeah. He said, my counterpart broke his leg. I'm doing the work of two people now. I don't have enough hours in the day. <laughs> okay. Coming back to the antecedents, the activities, he just wasn't set up for success. Another example of, Hey, this, you know, the supervisor needs to send me this report at the end of every day, went out to talk to the supervisor. Hey, what's getting in the way? I don't know how to use a spreadsheet. And as, as, his coach, he would tell me that he's not going to go to his leader and say, eh, I hate to tell you, but you know, all that training you did on spreadsheets, I don't know how to do it. <clears throat> so we worked through that. So that's the beauty of, of the science is understanding either on the activator side, what's in the way. And sometimes it's on the consequence side. Hey, I do this. It's harder. It's more difficult. It's hotter. You know, you send me out with this gear, my, my glasses fog up. Uh, you know, I can only work for 50 minutes. I got to go to the cool down shacks. I'm overheated. So if we don't really understand the consequences people are receiving as well, we might not get the behavior we want. So that's what the science allows us to do. Again, going back to first principles, is this person set up for success? And if so, if not, well, we need to fix that. And if so, then what is happening to them that is pushing them away from the desired behavior as opposed towards it? Now I'll give you examples there. And I've given you a couple of examples today of, of industrial organizations. But, you know, people ask, where, where does the science work? And the easy answer is anywhere that there's behaviors, <laughs> anywhere there's humans uh, trying to do something. A science is a science is a science. And what we, what we often find is we'll, we'll be coaching people. <clears throat> and uh, this has happened multiple times to, to pretty much all of our coaches in the organization. Someone will come in for a coaching session and say, ah, uh, I'm trying this stuff at home. <laughs> And you wouldn't believe what's happening with my relationship with my children. You wouldn't believe what's happening with my relationship with my church group. You wouldn't believe what's happening with my relationship with, with my, my siblings. Uh, I'm doing this. I'm practicing this. I'm practicing the positive reinforcement. I'm practicing stepping back and saying, okay, why, why is this behavior not happening? And uh, it actually works. So any, anytime there's humans, you, you get the chance to the opportunity to use this. And it's really eye-opening. And again, I come back to it. It's like riding, learning to ride a bicycle. Once you learn this, 
It's like putting on a different pair of glasses. You look through the, at the world through a different lens and a lens of understanding. It brings clarity to a lot of situations. Hey, I can't get this happening. You know, my kid won't do this. And I keep harping on them, harping on them, harping on them. Okay, is the harping on, is that positive or negative? Oh, that's negative. Have they ever done the behavior? Yes. When they did it, when they took the trash at that time, did you thank them for it? Did you recognize it? No, probably I was just expecting them to do it. Okay, let's flip that around. <laughs> so yes, you can use it absolutely anywhere. Um, and again, it's as leaders, it's not about ourselves, not about do more. It's about do different. How do I spend my time? How do I invest my time? Again, coming back to that four to one, am I going to spend my time going out and reinforcing people? Or am I just going to be the problem solver and catch people doing the things I don't want them to do and harping on them? I'm on a, I'm on a path that's not going to bring me the greatest success. Well, all right. We covered a lot here today. I'd like to thank Steve Quinnell from SCCI. You offered our listeners a lot of valuable information and tips they can start using right away. So I appreciate you taking the time today, Steve. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Behavioral Leadership Podcast presented by SCCI. I'm Dr. Nick Weatherly. Everyone be safe and have a great day. For more information on how SCCI can help you change your workplace culture, visit www.scci.biz or contact us at info at scci.biz.